We are in Proverbs 3. Um, I know we're studying Proverbs uh, on Sunday, and it's kind of interesting to be there both times, but uh, the Lord put the scripture on my heart. We finished up a series last time, and I just said, Lord, what do you want to say? And he, uh, he dropped this into my heart. So Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7, a familiar passage of scripture. I'm not sure how long we're going to be in this text. I was planning to cover um, 5 through 7 tonight, and as I started uh, putting notes down and letting the Holy Spirit flow, I only got through one line. So we're going to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Tonight, I want to start this series on the key to a blessed life. And we're only going to take this one line, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So, Father, tonight we thank you for the Proverbs. We thank you for the Scripture. We thank you for the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, Father, as you speak to us tonight, Father, on how to live a blessed life, Father, I pray that the eyes of our understanding would be open, that our hearts would be good ground. You drive truth deep within us, Lord, that we would be able to uh, bring it up out of the reservoir of what you've placed in our hearts, Lord God. And Father, it would change the way we think, act, feel, and live, the way we walk. I pray that in Jesus' name. And the church said, okay, so trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And this series is the key to a blessed life. So how many would agree with me that life is not easy? Amen? It's not easy. The Navy SEALs have an expression, the only easy day was yesterday. So when, you know, you, you get up before the sun does and you're cranking all day and you're doing your thing just to get by and survive and pay the bills and all the responsibilities and all the chores and all the things you try to take care of, life is difficult. It's not easy. It can be overwhelming at times. It can be cruel at times. Anyone ever experience cruelties in life? Losses, losses of jobs, losses of loved ones, deaths in the family, uh, things that hit us out of nowhere, just so cruel. Life can be confusing at times. We, we don't know what to do. There's moments where we just look up at heaven and go, God, what now? None of us would choose to live a hard, unfulfilling, painful, tragic life. No one in their right minds would choose that, but each of us want to live a blessed life. And so we have to ask ourselves, What's my part in making that happen? If I want to live a blessed life, what does it take from me? Because you know what? I know that God always does his part. But when things are messed up in Rick's life, you know whose fault it is? Kim's. That's right. No. It's God's. It's not God. It's not my wife. It's not anyone else. When things are messed up in my life, it's my fault. God always keeps his word, always keeps his promises. And he wants us to live blessed lives. Not that life would always be easy and have no uh, hardship to it. Not that there wouldn't be any suffering because we know that being in Christ means we're, we're baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. And suffering is part of the walk. But to live a blessed life, there's something that we need to do to make that happen. Now, I found the wisdom of God dictates, first of all, if we want to have a blessed life, that we shouldn't make life any more difficult than it needs to be. Amen to that. 
that's a good place to say amen because what do we do? We complicate things and we make them more difficult than they have to be. And we could just walk by faith, but then we get our minds involved and we get our flesh involved. And before you know it, what should have been an easy thing, what should have been a molehill has now turned into a mountain. And we make life more difficult than it needs to be. So we've got to stop doing that. The truth is that we can make life a lot harder than it needs to be by allowing our pride to drive us into places and situations where we could have otherwise avoided. Now, I see these verses in Proverbs 3 here that we just read as a clear warning against pride. You might not have picked that up when we read them, but this is all about keeping our pride in check so we can do what verses 5 through 7 tell us to do. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on our own understanding. Acknowledge him. Let him direct our paths. That all requires for us to put our pride in check. So really the key to having a blessed life is, number one, to check our pride and, and to put it in its place so we don't wind up in situations where we shouldn't be and we just learn to trust the Lord. Now, it's really easy to say things like, I trust Jesus. It's really easy to say things, well, I trust God for everything in my life. Can we agree on that, that as a Christian, we know that's true, so it's easy, it rolls out of our mouths really smoothly. But the truth is, many times, we don't really trust what we say we trust. And we must be willing to put the things we say we trust to the test. Come on, Wednesday night. There was a man named Charles Blondin on June 30th, 1859, one of the greatest tightrope walkers in history. Charles Blondin became the first man to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He went in front of approximately 2,500 people. They watched him walk a 1,000-foot line until he reached the Canadian side. And then Trudeau had him arrested and threw him in jail. No. (laughs) The crowd cheered in thunderous applause. On on that occasion, he attempted it, the falls. The next time, however, he tried to cross it pushing a wheelbarrow. Make it a little harder. The crowd gasped when they saw the the front-loaded wheelbarrow on the tightrope. And he turned to the crowd and he asked, do you believe that I could go across the falls in a wheelbarrow? Everyone cheered in approval. They all believed he could. He turned to a reporter and looked him square in the eye. He said, do you believe I can tightrope this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls? Without blinking, the reporter yelled, yes, I do. He said, then get in. Now think about that for just a second. It's a true story. Put yourself in that situation. It's easy to cheer the guy and say, yeah, you can do it until you are asked to get in the wheelbarrow. Because it's like, yeah, maybe he can do it, but with me in it, can he do it with me in it? Do I want to risk my life betting that he could do it? Come on, the rubber really hits the road when, the, when it's turned on us and we're required to put our trust, I mean, what we say we trust in to prove that we really trust in it. You know, I wouldn't get in that wheelbarrow. I don't care who's pushing it. Anybody? I mean, if Jesus is pushing it, I'll pray about it. No, I'm not. But, I mean, it really takes a lot of faith to get in that wheelbarrow. You would rather kind of just, well, I'll just try and walk across myself to put your trust in someone else to be completely vulnerable and com- uh, completely, you know, at their mercy. Proverbs 3, 5 shows us 
that we can crush the recklessness of pride in our lives by trusting the Lord. That's why it's such a simple thing. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, the verse says. It's easy to say we trust Jesus until he asks us to get into the proverbial wheelbarrow. And you know, like Blondin, Jesus is going to look us all square in the eye at certain moments in life and say, get in. Get in the wheelbarrow. Oh, Jesus, is there another way? You know, uh, I'll pull a garden of Gethsemane. If this cup can pass from me. And understand that until we put to test the things that we say we trust, we really have to consider whether or not we've put pride to death in our lives. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Jesus is going to look us in the eye, and he's going to ask us to get in. And trusting the Lord is easier when a couple things happen. The first is this. It's easier to trust the Lord when we know him well. You know, when you're new, brand new Christian and everything's exciting and fresh and new, that's one stage of our Christian walk. But you know what? When you've been saved and you're walking with the Lord for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and so on, you know, he, he proves himself to us in ways that are indisputable. Now, I can say this, he proves himself to us, but only as we get to know him. The better we get to know him, the more he proves himself to us. The closer we walk with him, the more we see, you know, who he is and that he keeps his word and that he does miracles. The more we pray, the more he answers. The more we cry out to him, the more he comes down and, and orders our steps and levels mountains and knocks giants down. Come on, that's the Jesus we serve. And it's easier to trust him when we know him well. If a stranger ever came up to you and asked you to trust them, what would be your response? You know, you know, you're at the beach and you're about to go, you know, to the snack bar and the people behind you, you know, uh, the blanket behind you, can you trust them to watch your wallet and your pocketbook and your blanket and your radio? Can you trust them? It's New York. You can't trust them. That's right. That's the right answer. Smile. You look too serious. And you know what? The thing is, when someone you don't know says, trust me, man, that's a huge red flag, especially for New Yorkers, right? Because it's like, why should I trust you? I don't know you. And, and that's the response, you see. And there are Christians who sit in church their whole life, and they don't know Jesus. And they don't get close to him. And they don't really you know, they don't really press into him or go in the deep water with him. The disciples walked with him, and they knew him. And you see, it's a lot easier to trust someone you know. And I want to say something tonight as we're talking about burying our pride and learning to trust the Lord so we can have a blessed life. You and I need to take the time to get close to Jesus. Amen. You and I need to take the time to pray. And I encourage you, pray to the Lord and write down your prayers. You know, because sometimes we're so forgetful. God answers our prayer just the way we prayed it. And we forget that we even prayed that prayer. There's been times where there's things going on in my life, and I'm like, I think I prayed for this. And then I'm like, yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember praying for this. So I guess I got to write things down. But trusting in the Lord is easier when we know him well. People who we don't know and they ask us to trust them, you know, it's difficult. It's difficult to, you know, trust someone you don't know because there's, there's no logical reason to trust them. Now, the second thing I want to say about trusting the Lord is it's easier when you get to know him. And number two, it's easier when we've experienced what he's capable of. 
when you've seen miracles in your own body? Come on, any Christians here tonight? I know, I see everybody's writing. When we've seen our prayers answered and, and our loved ones saved, and, uh, you know, I'll never forget as a young man uh, praying for my grandfather to get saved, and, and then he was in church, and I'm sitting there, and I look up, and he's at the altar, answering an altar call. I'm like, what? wow, that's cool. I prayed, God heard, and he answered. Miracles, amen. You know, when you get to know him and you find out what he's capable of, it's a lot easier to trust him. When we pray and he answers, when we cry out and he comforts us, when we see miracles with our own eyes, when we see his transforming power in our lives and in the lives of others, when we see the captive set free and the drug addict set free and the, and the sinner turned into a saint, come on tonight. When we see him move mightily in our homes, in our marriages, in our church, and in our nation, it's easier to trust him when we see what he's capable of. Now, the miracle that happens in Matthew 14 uh, illustrates this point perfectly. And I'm going to read you Matthew 14, 26 through 29. And it's a miracle that I'm sure you've heard and I'm, I'm sure I've taught. But listen, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, you remember this? The disciples are in the boat. Jesus decides to take a stroll on the water. They were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Oh, the faith of the disciples is wonderful. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Listen to verse 28. Peter responded and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. It's an awesome miracle there, a test of faith. Uh, Peter jumps out of the boat. He's the only one. We all know what happens if you keep reading. He, he decided to uh, think about it a little bit too much, and he thought, you know what, this is not possible. So then Peter sinks because he lost his focus. He lost his faith. But the point here is this. The only reason Peter got out of the boat was because Jesus said he could. That's the only reason. He said, look what Peter said, command me to come to you on the water. So Peter's not saying, you know, I'm going to jump out and see if I can do this. No, he's like, Jesus, if you say it, I'll, I'll try it. And, and Jesus says, come. Now, he only got out of the water he only got out of the boat and onto the water because Jesus said, if James or John or Judas told him to get out, do you think he would have got out? No. But Jesus commanded him to do it, and he believed him. Why? Because Peter had seen what Jesus could do. Peter had seen, he had been close to him, he had walked with him. Peter had seen Jesus multiply the loaves and heal the sick and raise the dead and call Lazarus out of the tomb and cast out devils and, and cleanse lepers and calm storms and curse fig trees. Come on, are you understanding what I'm saying here? He'd seen all that. Say, oh, I wish I could see all that. Listen, when we walk with Jesus and we take the time to get close to him, we're going to see him do miracles in our own lives. Amen. We're going to see him answer our prayers, and we're going we're gonna to be able to trust him easier. You don't trust someone you don't know. You don't trust someone you're not close to. You don't trust someone if you don't know what they're capable of. So let's take the time. 
to get to know Jesus, to walk with him, and to experience his presence. Why? Because the more we get to know him, the more it's easy for us to trust him. We got to ask ourselves, if we won't trust the Lord, what does that mean? If we still want to rely on our own intellect, on our own strength, on our own flesh, it means we really don't know Jesus that well. So one last detail from verse 5 here. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Now, that's actually a really important detail. We talked about trust, and, and absolutely trust is important. It displays our faith. It allows us to experience the, the miracles of God. But, you know, it says here that we should trust in the Lord with all of our heart, and that word heart is very important. It's an important detail. We have to develop a heart-to-heart -heart relationship, a heart-to-heart -heart connection with Jesus. Now, that might sound str strange, you know, because, you know, we think, well, Jesus is with the Father. He's praying for us. Yeah, we feel his presence and stuff. You know, he speaks to our hearts. But, you know, isn't it, Pastor, isn't it kind of, you know, just a soul-to-soul a, a -soul or a spirit-to-spirit? -spirit? Yes, we have a spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection with him because the Holy Ghost is in us, amen, and we're connected to him. But we need to develop this heart-to-heart -heart relationship with him, and that only comes by intimacy, See, when you're really close to someone and you know their heart, not only can you trust them, uh, not only can you count on them, but, you know, you experience things with them in a way that will change your life. Married people that have that heart-to-heart -heart connection, that have intimacy, you know, they're, they're close on a level that's different than any other level. And having a heart-to-heart -heart connection with Jesus will bring us closer to him than anything else we have to trust in the lord with all of our heart it's a heart-to-heart -heart connection now notice it doesn't say trust in the lord with all of your intellect trust in the lord with all of your intelligence and your theology trust in the lord with your deep understanding of spiritual things <laughs> it doesn't say any of that it says heart and you know why it doesn't say any of that because none of that works I, was, I think I read a quote while I was preaching one time that a certain person said they have an intellectual relationship with God. If you're not laughing, you're making me nervous. Look, people, we have like a two-circuit brain. Amen. And God, God's big. <laughs> and, and if we think we can connect with him intellectually, not only are we full of pride bordering on hubris, we're... We're kidding ourselves. We can't have an intellectual relationship with God. And it's not a head-to-head -head relationship. It's not a meeting of the minds that God wants us to have with him. It's a heart-to-heart. -heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That's what connects us to him spiritually. We're kidding ourselves if we think we can connect with him any other way. And you know what? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tells us exactly why. We can't connect with him philosophically or intellectually. Listen to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. Listen, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than yours. So God's ways and thoughts are out of touch for us. And that's why we can't even understand them. You know, sometimes we think, God, show me what you're doing. And God's like, if I showed you what I was doing, it would blow your mind. 
Moses said, show me your presence. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to tuck you in the rock, and I'm just going to pass by you, and you're just going to see the train. You're just going to see the afterglow of me, and that's, you can't barely even handle that, so hold on, Mo, because it's going to get rough. And, you know, and we like, well, I want to experience. No, understand his ways and his thoughts are high above ours. But he allows us to connect with him on an intimate level, heart to heart. What a beautiful thing. The word heart in Scripture means the mind, will, and emotions, if you're taking notes tonight. The mind, the will, and the emotions, that's the heart. The word heart is used in Scripture a lot, and, and we need to understand the implications of it. So how do we trust the Lord? By connecting with him in those ways, connecting with him through the mind. Now, we're going to see that that's not an intellectual thing, the will and the emotions. Let's look at the mind first, and I'm going to close down with this, so we should be done in an hour or two. Number one, we're looking at the heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. The heart is the mind, the will, and the emotions. So our mind, we connect with the Lord with our minds, and here's how we do that. Again, it's not a sharing of deep thoughts with him that we have some kind of mutually beneficial intellectual exchange, but rather it's us humbling, allowing him to renew our minds. See, the only way my heart's going to get right is if I let the Lord renew my mind. I've got to bring my mind to him, not to share it with him so I could, you know, you know, tell him something he never thought of. I got to bring my mind to him because it's carnal and it's worldly and it's of the flesh and I need him to renew my mind. You see, Christians that walk around and say, you know, well, I accepted Jesus, but they never allow the Holy Spirit to renew their minds. They're still carnal. They're still fleshly and they're going to have a heck of a time trying to serve God because you can't please God in the flesh. So our minds need to be renewed. Uh, they're broken, they're messed up, they came from a lost state. Listen to Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. There it is. God wants to renew our minds so he can change our hearts so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen to Titus 3, 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. God renews us by transforming our minds so that all of us become clean and pure and holy in his sight by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. But we've got to have our minds renewed. There's no way around it. If you're saved 10, 20, 30 years and you still think the same, still talk the same, still have the same level of faith, you're stuck. And we need to cry out to the Holy Spirit to get us unstuck so we'll grow. Amen. Amen. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So the first part of getting our heart right and and destroying pride is to let the Lord deal with our hearts and we do that by allowing him to renew our minds let's talk about our will now that's the second part of the heart the mind the will and the emotions the greatest proof that we trust the Lord is that we surrender our will to him do you know what getting in the wheelbarrow would equate surrendering our will Jesus says, get in the wheelbarrow. And, and I say, you know what? Um, I'm not ready for that, Lord. And, and, and so I put my spiritual development on pause. 
But the minute I say, you know what, by faith, I'm going to get in that wheelbarrow. I'm going to give up all control, and I'm going to completely trust you. See, that's what that's all about. If you're in the proverbial wheelbarrow, you've given up all control. If, if he goes down, you go down. <laughs> the good thing is that Jesus never slips. He never falters. He never fails. He never drops the ball. <laughs> I don't know about Charles Blondin. I ain't getting the wheelbarrow for him. He could sneeze. A bird could land on him. I don't know what could happen. But we need to learn to trust Jesus, and we need to surrender our will to him. So we trust in the Lord by surrendering our will. Listen to Luke 9.23. And he said to all of us, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's a text we all know, but it's Jesus' call to those who would be disciples. You got to come after him. You got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Come on, that's Christianity 101, amen? It's not just saying a prayer. It's not just joining a church. It's not just reading the Bible. It's denying self so that our will can be broken. Why? Because our carnal fleshly will, there again, will never submit to God, will never please God, and will never lead us in the paths of godliness. So we've got to surrender our will, and, and that proves that we trust him. And this whole thing about denying yourself and taking up your cross, that self-denial that Jesus is speaking of, uh, it's a surrendering of the will, and it's absolutely necessary because understand this, our will will always clash with his. Remember what he said? My ways are not your, my thoughts are not. No, uh, it's, I'm higher than you. We, we don't see eye to eye intellectually. We're going to have a heart to heart connection. I'm going to save you. We're going to have an intimate relationship. But I'm God and you're not. So our will, uh, our will can be really strong. How, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But how many have uh, experienced strong willed people? How many uh, strong willed children? Anybody? Strong-willed children, yeah, parents are, parents are groaning and gnashing their teeth all over. If you've ever experienced someone in a strong will, it can be really frustrating. You know, and when we're strong-willed spiritually, I believe it, it's frustrating to God. Because we're standing at the edge of the pool, and he's telling us to jump in, and we say, uh-uh. You ever seen that kid, Dizzy, standing at the edge of the pool? He's shivering, his lips are blue. His dad's in the pool. Jump in, I'll catch you. Uh-uh. And no matter what you say, man, you got to grab him and pull him in. His mother has to kick him in. But do you understand here how our will can get in the way of the things of God? And if we're strong-willed in a negative way spiritually, we can short-circuit the, the blessing of God, the plan of God for our lives. So we've got to come after him. We've got to deny ourselves and take up our cross. That self-denial is part of breaking uh, th that will that's in us. Jesus, you know, he asks us to deny ourselves. He asks us to take up the cross. He asks us to surrender our will. And you know what I want? I want to tell you something about Jesus. He's not a hypocrite. Jesus never asked us to do anything he was not willing to do. He, he came down from heaven. He obeyed the Father. He said, not my will but yours be done. You know, uh, and that scripture that tells us in Luke where he withdrew himself. Remember, again, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he withdrew himself from his disciples and he knelt down and prayed. And in verse 42 of Luke 22, it says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What was that all about? 
That was Jesus' flesh because it had a will that was contrary to the Father. And that's what we contend with all day long. He said, remove this cup from me. Then the spirit part of Jesus raises up, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus allowed his will to be broken, his flesh to be humbled so that he could do the will of the Father. And he never asked us to do anything he was unwilling to do. Well, Jesus, you never had to do this, and you never had. Yes, he did. He was tempted in all ways like us. He, he overcame sin. He had the same, uh, you know, temptations and affections and all of these things that easily knock us over. Jesus withstood them and overcame them, and perfectly he offered himself on the cross as payment for our sin. Amen. Not my will, but yours be done. So our will, the, the long and the short of it is our will has to be broken and submitted to God. We can't execute our will and God's will at the same time. It's going to be one or the other. So lastly, we're going to look at the emotions here. So it's the mind, the will, and the emotions. Let's talk about our emotions a little bit. Anybody emotional out there? Anybody emote today? John's raising his hand. So we've all got emotions. Can we agree? When we don't feel like doing something in life, it makes it so much difficult, more difficult to do, doesn't it? You know, if you feel like doing something or you're excited about it, it just energizes you. Some of you I could see had a long day at work. And, and you know, it beats you up, right? And at the end of the day, how excited are we to do a whole bunch of chores? cook dinner and clean dishes. It's like, it's like torture some days. I'm like, let's fast and pray tonight. Nobody said amen to that. So our mind has to be renewed, our will has to be broken, and our emotions have to be dealt with. Why? Because a lot of times we don't feel like doing what God has asked us to do. Sometimes we don't feel like going to church, but praise God, here you are tonight. Amen. Sometimes we don't feel like praying. Sometimes we don't feel like sharing the gospel. You know, the Holy Spirit's talking, share the gospel. I'm like, I don't want to share the gospel. I'm, I'm sitting here on the train. I don't want to talk to this guy. They're all a little crazy. Let me be quiet, Lord. Right, Charles? Share the gospel. Sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes, uh, you know, we don't feel like reading the Bible, doing our devotion. Sometimes we don't feel like restraining our flesh. Come on, let's get real for just a second here. You know, you're in traffic and you want to just, you know, get fleshly. You're, you're frustrated at work and you want to you get, you know, you want to get in the flesh and you don't feel like restraining your flesh. And you just hope that when you let it go that nobody from the church pulls up <laughs> behind you, right? I'm telling you, as a pastor, you can't, you can't, I can't do anything. I can't even spit. I, I got to watch where, I, I mean, because there. You all are everywhere. People come up to me in the mall, hi, Pastor. I don't even know them. I'm like, who is that? So there's sometimes we don't feel like restraining our flesh. And, you know, our emotions get the best of us. And uh, we have to realize that just because we don't feel like it doesn't mean we, we allow our flesh to win. That's part of denying ourselves. That's part of taking up our cross. But we have to learn to deal with our emotions and to keep them in check. 
when we do what we don't feel like doing just to please God, there's a huge reward attached to that. And you know what? If we'll just do it, even when we don't feel like it, the next time it's easier to do. And you know what? Usually, uh, almost 100% of the time, when you do what God's asked you to do and you didn't feel like it, when you've finally done it, it's a blessing and you're excited about it and you feel pretty good about it, don't you? Amen? You step out and you share your faith and, and, and someone gets excited and they come to church and they get saved. I mean, how, what, what could you replace that with? So we have to deal with our emotions. We have to keep them in check. And we have to do the things that God asks us to do even when we don't feel like it. You know, the impulsiveness of our, of our emotions can cause us to miss the will of God. Just take anger for an example. You know, we get into a situation and we get angry and we allow our anger to come to the place where it overwhelms us and now we haven't dealt with it and it becomes sin. So now we're angry and, and we stew on it and then we want revenge over the situation and then we're unwilling to extend grace and then we demand our pound of flesh and we wind up making a much bigger mess than it ever had to be. All because we didn't restrain our emotions. You know, and I've talked about this a lot. There's people who are sitting in jail right now, uh, you know, for a long sentence, some of them life sentences because they didn't control themselves in the spur of the moment. They were good people. They had good families. They, they had a they good future, but they let their emotions get the best of them, and they lashed out in anger. I mean, you hear some of the stories about what anger has cost people, and what is that? It's just an emotion out of control, and it wasn't expressed correctly. So we've got to realize our emotions need to be checked. And until we deal with our emotions and submit them to God, uh, you know, they're going to get the best of us at times, and we're not going to be able to trust the Lord because we're going to stir ourselves up in the flesh and get all lathered up, and then we're going to forget, oh, I was supposed to trust the Lord. When we're angry or when we don't feel like doing something or, or when we don't understand in life, we need to see those moments as opportunities to prove that we really trust God. When God says to do something and we don't get it, we don't understand it, and we don't want to do it, but we do it anyway, we're proving that we trust him. God, I don't understand. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know why you're having me do this. I don't know why I have to apologize to them. They, you know, they were 90% wrong. I was only 10% wrong. You ever figure out the percentages of how much you were wrong? That's a losing proposition, right? God says, go apologize. And you apologize, and it softens their heart, and something breaks, and then there's forgiveness extended, and grace flows, and healing takes place. See, God never asks us to do things that are unfruitful. I'm not saying it goes perfect every time, but see these things as an opportunity to prove that we really trust the Lord. You know, if God can just tell us to do something and we do it, could you imagine what he could do with people like that? This really isn't that hard. Romans 12, 19 tells us this. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. We need to leave all of the getting even and settling the score and giving a piece of our mind. We need to let that all go and just trust the Lord. We need to deal with our emotions. We need to deal with our fears. We need to deal with our anger. We need to deal, you know, with our, our drivenness and our passion. Whatever emotion that you struggle with, if I leave yours out, I'm sorry, but 
deal with it. Emotions are a big part of uh, what we need to submit to the Lord and getting our hearts in check. So it's our mind, and our mind needs to be renewed. It's our will, and our will needs to be broken and submitted to God. It's our emotions, and we need to trust God to uh, meet our needs and fulfill our desires and to lay our emotions down at his feet and to really prove that we trust him. So we're going to stop there for this week. I'm going to read to you the text again. I want you to close your eyes and just listen to it after we've talked all about all of those points and all of what God was saying to us. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Father, I thank you tonight for your word and how it challenges us and how it gets right to the core. Lord, I pray that each of us would learn to trust you in deeper ways, that we would get to know you and find out what you're capable of. Father, I'm praying for the new believer and the seasoned saint that each of us would pursue you with passion and vigor and consistency until we would see you do exploits in our lives so that we would know what you were capable of and reflexively we would trust you, that we would trust you not with our minds, not with our intellect, not with our human understanding, but with all of our hearts. Develop a heart-to-heart connection in each of us. Let our mind be renewed Let our will be submitted to you. Let our emotions be laid at your feet so that we can be under your control and not driven by anything. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him a hand clap of praise tonight.